1: Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long term retirement goals.
2: Thanks for joining us today for the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. We know you are busy. We appreciate you taking the time out of your day to spend it with us. How are you doing, Josh?
0: I'm doing well, Diane. How are you?
2: Good. We have lots of great information on the show, and we're going to start off talking about whole life insurance. So, Josh, is there any benefit to to it, and should everybody be taking a look at that?
0: Well, I think the the answer to that question is much like... Uh, the answer to a lot of questions you answer you ask me and that is it depends and, and what I mean by that is whole life insurance is a great instrument It's a great vehicle. It's a great tool But it is oftentimes misused so let's first talk about what it is so we, we can differentiate between there's two types of insurance There's whole life insurance or permanent insurance, and then there's term insurance most people are aware of term insurance that's the uh, rental policy if you will you, you rent the insurance When you're done uh, needing the insurance or when the term of that insurance runs out, you don't have anything to show for it. You just rented that policy. Think auto insurance in in that regard. Whole life insurance or permanent insurance has two elements to it. While it has an insurance component, it also has a cash value component, which means that you're building an account, a separate account that you can then utilize at some future time frame. And there's a bunch of different types of permanent or whole life insurance. Um, actually, let's describe it as permanent because whole life is a particular type of permanent insurance. There's also universal life insurance. There's fixed, variable, indexed, all these different types of, of permanent life insurance policies. And the only difference amongst all of them is how that separate account grows. So if you have a fixed or whole life insurance policy, it's gonna grow by some sort of guaranteed fixed rate of return or at least one that has a minimum guarantee. Whereas indexed in variable life insurance grows in a variable capacity, meaning it can be significant one year, not as much the next year. In the case of variable, it can actually go backwards, much like uh it is tied to the stock market, so much like mutual funds. But the, the huge benefit to all of the permanent life insurance policies is it's one of the few areas in the tax code where you can utilize that cash value if you structure it properly via a loan tax-free. So if you remember uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the value of Roth IRAs, the value of uh, converting to a Roth IRA, and the value of that is that you can access all of the money that you gained uh, via interest completely tax-free. And life insurance can work the same way. The big problem, Diane, is that you have to structure it appropriately. It's not quite as easy as just doing a Roth IRA. So it's not as simple as saying, I'm going to dump this money into it. I'm going to leave it alone. And I know full well that every nickel I pull out is going to be tax-free because that's just the way that works. And you know my performance is what it is, but that's that. When it comes to life insurance, you have to abide by a whole lot of rules. There's corridors and uh, we can't have too much cash value or it, or, or it becomes what's called a modified endowment contract and then it's not tax-free anymore. Or you know, we we have to make sure we have enough death benefit if you want to look at it the other way. So the important part is how we structure it. But if structured appropriately and funded appropriately, it can be one of those three legs of the stool that we talked about last week. And that is we want to have multiple sources of income from varying sources that don't necessarily react the same way to market conditions so we can weather storms. And obviously the name of the game always in retirement planning is, how can I achieve my desired results with the least amount of impact from taxes? So if you had a Roth IRA, a properly structured whole life insurance policy, and then Social Security, maybe some other stuff along the way, not only do you have a a three-legged stool, but now we're talking about getting into more and more legs and more and more uh, diversification amongst your income sources. So um, I am a proponent of the utilization of, Uh, whole life insurance policies or uh, indexed universal life insurance policies, universal life insurance policies in general. However, they have to be structured appropriately and they have to be a good fit for you. And quite frankly, they're not a good fit for everyone. So uh, there's some investigating to do there, Diane, very long-winded answer to the question, but um, it can have tremendous value or it can be a terrible, terrible decision. And by terrible decision, I mean, if you structure it wrong, you've paid all this money all along You've paid more than you had to pay for a term life insurance policy because you had this whole life component, but then you pull it out wrong, it becomes taxable, or you didn't fund it correctly, and then you end up losing the policy anyway because it, quote, runs out of gas. All of these can be bad things. So uh, just like in the planning process, not all plans are created equal, and certainly uh, the structure of life insurance policies has to be done correctly, or you can end up with a mess on your hands.
2: Before I met you, Josh, I talked to another financial advisor. So I just want to clarify, it was before I knew you. Well, for um, every
0: number one, there's going to be a number two.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, talked about the whole life insurance. And they said there's so many costs and it's expensive and it's. they directed me not to go that route.
0: And I would say, arguably, for the majority of folks, that's a good answer. Um, and it depends upon, obviously, and you know, it depends upon your health. It depends upon your age. It depends upon a lot of things. But the the first time that I would even consider looking at a whole life insurance policy would be I'm already maxing out my 401k, getting the match. I'm already, if I qualify, putting enough money into a Roth. Or let's say I don't qualify for a Roth, and I can't figure out a way to get, you know, there's there's backdoor ways to getting a Roth IRAs, but I can't do that. I've already maximized all of my savings vehicles and I'm in a really high tax bracket. This could be a great option for that additional source of investing. What I don't like is when I hear oftentimes um, people saying, you know, quit putting money into a, a 401k because, you know, that's going to be a tax time bomb down the line. Don't contribute to a Roth. This is the, you know, the, I've heard all these canned, crazy phrases like, uh, you know, life insurance is the super Roth IRA. You should do that first. And, In my opinion, that's just people trying to gain a commission um, at, you know, the detriment of the people that they're advising. So make sure that you're with a fiduciary who, by statute, has to give you the right information in, in your best interest and make sure that you're structuring it appropriately. So it may not have been the right scenario for you, Diane. I'm not sure.
2: Okay, great information. And if anyone has questions about that, you can give Josh's office a call. Uh, and also to learn more about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint, the number is six one four three six four seven three zero zero. That's six one four three six four seventy three hundred. There's no cost or obligation to do that, by the way. Uh, the website is aptuswealth.com, and that is spelled A-P-T-U-S-wealth.com. Josh, you get asked this question all the time. How much do we need for retirement? It's a really general question. So what are some things that people should be thinking about to help them answer that themselves? I think
0: you hit the nail on the head. It is a very general question, but it seems like one that everybody likes to answer with a definitive answer, even though there's no possible way you could do that. I hear on the news all the time, you know, research studies show that the average American needs 70% of their pre-retirement income to live off of. And while that may be an, a very uh, justifiable average, it's all over the board when you look at the individual. Um, you know, people, typically speaking, people who make more income uh, in those you know top 10% of wage earners usually need less of a percentage of their pre-retirement income to live on for the rest of their life. And then folks that are in the lower income category tend to need at least as much uh, or a higher percentage, sometimes as much as they were making pre-retirement Uh, to live off of. So the easiest way to analyze it is this. We all know that we have a gross income and we have a net income. And sometimes we're very unhappy about analyzing the difference between the two, (laughs) right? I'm making $10,000 a month, but I only bring home $1,500 every two weeks. That doesn't sound anywhere near $10,000 a month, right? I hear this conversation all the time. What you're bringing home is what you're actually living on. So in... You know, I'm assuming that you're not, let's take into account the auto drafts that are coming out of your account to go fund other things. But by the time you're done paying social security taxes, all the wage taxes, uh, contributing to your 401k, paying for health insurance, etc., what are you actually living on? And that's a darn good place to start. Because if you're living happy on that, then obviously you can live happy on that moving forward as long as we uh, accommodate for inflation, etc. So the best way to approach it, is look at what you're living on right now and ignore all of these general rules of thumb of percentages, et cetera. Uh, I know it's hard because you you feel like it would be a a much easier math equation sometimes to just say, well, I'm making 10, I need 80%, that's 8,000. It's just not the case. It also is very dependent upon where your sources of income are coming from not all gross incomes create the same net income. So we have to figure out what net income you're living off of, which is what you're living on right now. And then we have to back into what gross amount do we need to withdraw from your retirement accounts to achieve that, to determine if it's sustainable. So hopefully I didn't overcomplicate that, but start with what you're actually living on today rather than paying attention to some arbitrary percentage.
2: Yeah, no, that's great advice. I think with this pandemic and the self-isolation, a lot of people realized, I know I did, realized how much money that I waste, And it was a good reminder to save for kind of these emergency situations.
0: For sure. Uh, I think we also realized how much we eat out. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. No, uh, (laughs) no. That's all of us. uh, I I felt like I was eating uh, terribly when I was at home and somehow I still lost a couple pounds, which tells me how terribly I was eating out all the time. So yeah, I think (laughs) we've learned a lot of things from the pandemic. The other thing that I can say almost invariably uh, is the first few years of your retirement are going to be usually the most expensive. That's where you're going to take all those trips that you didn't plan on or that you've been waiting to take your entire life. So uh, it's not a straight uh, line necessarily either. Know that it might be more expensive in the, few, the first few years, but just plan for it and you can make all those things that you wanted to do come true.
2: Let's talk about the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process. For those listeners that are just joining us uh, at Aptus Wealth, they will take clients through the Blueprint process and, and take a look at their financial pictures. Let's talk about the process a little bit and explain that to people who are hearing this for the first time.
0: Sure. Well, it's important that it's a process because we need to make sure that we don't leave any stone uncovered. So uh, we want to make sure that we, this is completely encompassing, that we're thorough, that we've answered everybody's questions, and that we're not missing anything. So step one of the process is what we call the discovery, which is simply just finding out everything about you. What are your goals that are individual to you? What are you currently living on now? Let's come up with a, uh, much like we just talked about, what do we need at the end of the tunnel to reach? Um, and what does that income look like for you? What have you been doing so far to achieve that level of income? And then what other things have we not taken into account? Long-term care, estate planning, et cetera. What are some landmines along the way that could get in the, in the way? Step two is the analysis, and that's where we're really going to come back to the table with all of those answers from the fact-finding that we just took in meeting number one. What are the possible restrictor plates that could get in the way or or slow down your path down that road? And then meeting number three, we call the blueprint. The blueprint is solving all of the problems. What is required to achieve everything that you want? What can we do to mitigate all of the problems that we talked about in meeting number two that might have been uncovered? Or maybe it's just pure confirmation that you're on the right path. You're doing great and uh, good for you. And then meeting number four, um, the one that isn't really part of the the process per se, but it's the engagement meeting. This is where we decide are we a good fit for one another. We will not take on a client until we've met at least three times. Fourth time is when we decide are we a good fit. It's a long-term relationship, um, and we start filling out you know the necessary paperwork to consummate the relationship, I guess.
2: Right, and get your uh, plans into motion for people's money. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. If you'd like the website to check out, it is aptuswealth.com. It's spelled A-P-T-U-S, wealth.com. I'm Diane Brennan. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. When we come back, retiring in the middle of this uncertainty.
3: Seventy-three hundred, or visit aptiswealth.com.
2: Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, I've seen that some people are having to make the difficult decision to retire during this time of uncertainty. What advice would you give them? I'm sure they're incredibly nervous with the uncertainty that's going on in the markets and in the world.
0: You know, anytime you're you're faced with a, a decision that is difficult, I think you should first take inventory, and I don't think this is any different. So step one is take inventory of the resources that you have available to you. And I, I guess I'm speaking to this from somebody who may be pushed into a position of being forced to retire. Um, so let's let's assume that this is coming as a shock to them. You know, our job was uh, we were furloughed and then maybe we didn't get called back. Um, you know, there's companies that as a result of COVID that uh, aren't going to be the same uh, perhaps ever again, moving forward, not to sound, uh, you know, dismal about the situation, but there are several people that I've talked to that have been displaced and it looks like that might be permanently. So if you're in that position where I was planning on working another year or two years, and now I'm forced with the retirement question. And, um, I don't have the extra two or three years worth of savings that I was anticipating. Uh, first take inventory, see what you have, revisit your plan. Um, if you didn't have a plan, now's a darn good time to start one. Um, so Take inventory, revisit your plan. But we're also faced with some other issues. And that is what what is arguably more scary is the same things that we've talked about uh, in in previous weeks, and that is we're in this low interest rate environment. So now we're faced with this dilemma of we no longer have a job. We need to retire. Interest rates are at all-time lows. So how am I going to achieve yield or income? In facing this uncertainty. So we have the market bouncing around like crazy. That seems really uncertain. We have interest rates in the toilet. That seems uh, like a a abysmal type situation. And now I'm faced with having to navigate this along the way. And I think, you know, you just need to start uh, consulting people that know what they're doing, uh, i.e. a fiduciary, and also be open to new ideas. The 60-40 portfolio that everybody relied on for so long, and if you don't know what that is, it's 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, and of course, amongst those categories, there was some more diversification, but that general 60-40 portfolio was kind of the the staple for retirees for decades and decades. That's probably not going to work for you, and it's probably not going to work because as interest rates go up, bonds do not react favorably to that. In fact, there's an inverse relationship. So what used to happen is as the stock market got really, really volatile, um, bond prices added some some guarantees to that. And while that may continue, bond prices also added a rate of return to your portfolio because they were paying out a consistent interest rate of return. But as interest rates go up and bond prices go down, I don't necessarily... Uh, Uh, agree with the ideology that bond prices are going to be the next bubble meaning you're going to lose your shirt in bonds but if you look from you know say 1950 to 1960 for example we're in a similar interest rate environment bonds returned less than 2% average annual uh, over that decade so Let's look forward now and say we're faced with this dilemma of I have volatility in stocks. What if my bonds only return 2% over the next 10 years? How am I going to retire? I think you need to start looking at alternative strategies. And alternative strategies could be pointing towards things like uh, inflation-adjusted annuity contracts, um, adding some guarantees via insurance vehicles like maybe the whole life insurance product that we just talked about. But you have to be open to the idea of looking at alternative vehicles to derive income. Um, otherwise, I think it's going to be a very tough road for people in that scenario.
2: And when you look at retirement, I mean, everything is so cyclical that people have to be prepared going into retirement for the ups and downs of the market.
0: For sure. This is one of what will probably be, uh, you know, two or three of these types of scenarios in the average person's retirement. If we look backwards, you know, we're in a difficult time now, but let's not forget 2008 or 2001, 2002, or times before that. I mean, it seems like You know, in every market cycle of 7 to 10 years, we have a correction. So if you plan on retiring for 20 to 30 years, you're probably going to see uh, more than just this one. So you have to be prepared.
2: If you're concerned about the market and you'd like to learn new strategies to manage retirement risks, give Josh's office a call to learn more about the Aptis Retirement Blueprint today. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptiswealth.com aptuswealth.com. Let's uh, switch gears and talk about annuities. They have changed a lot. A lot of people still have that negative stigma or idea about them uh, when the topic's brought up. So is this really the case? Are annuities the enemy? Yeah,
0: you know, let's put this to bed because I hear this one a lot. And, and it does seem to be a polarizing product for whatever reason. Um, I don't know if that's just what the media grabbed a hold of. But certainly when people come into my office, they if they have a negative opinion, it's a very strong negative opinion, not not slight, but you know flat out, I hate annuities and first disclaimer, not all annuities are created equal. There's four different types of annuities, just to hit it right out of the gate there's there's variable annuities, there are fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities, and immediate annuities. So when we say the word annuity, sometimes people will say, "I hate annuities." well, which one um, but let's address you know annuities in general as being What do they have available to them? Well, you can get guarantees out of annuities. You can get lifetime income out of annuities. You can get inflation adjustment lifetime income out of annuities. You can get that lifetime income. By that, I mean income you can never outlive, which there's not too many products that I'm aware of on the planet that provide that. Bonds certainly don't offer you a guarantee that says we will pay you as long as you shall live. Neither does the stock market. So that's very unique to the annuity world. Um, There's tax benefits to annuities. There's uh, guaranteed uh, growth elements to annuities. There's a lot of things that are beneficial to annuities. And there's usually only one downside that I hear to annuities, and that's cost. And the problem, I think, Diane, with annuities is the costs and the benefits widely vary. So you have to have someone that can help you navigate the space. Because annuities can be a very good thing for you, if they apply to you at all, or they can be a very bad thing. And by that, I mean you can look at a product in the same space and almost pay twice as much for the same thing if you don't pick the right one. So it would be like saying, uh, are, you know, are all X bad? You know, Are all Fords bad? Are all Chevys bad? You know, No. I mean, of course, uh, cars can make sense. And you may have an opinion on one versus the other. And sure, there might be models that have had bad reliability or whatever you're basing your criteria on, but that does not mean that they're all bad. Um, So know know that they can have a place. I think they're incredibly valuable right now. I think that uh, anybody who's in retirement right now that's deriving income should either have an annuity in their portfolio today, not all of their money in an annuity, but some of their money in annuity uh, portfolio today, or they should have done a lot of research to determine that it did not make sense for their scenario. If you're purely ignoring it for, I heard bad things, I think you're, you're kicking one of the legs out on your stool that we've been talking about, that, three, that three-legged stool. So find somebody who can help you navigate that space. Uh, we have a brochure that we can send out that describes how they work, the ups and downs, pros and cons. We can talk about historical return. Happy to have those conversations with folks, but you need to do the research because they have a very significant amount of value. Uh, you know, none of the annuities that we have placed clients in in the last 10 years have had one down year, including this recent dip. Doesn't sound so bad all of a sudden, does it, Diane? I mean, you haven't lost any money over the last uh, 12 months. The market, uh, not so much.
2: Where do I sign up? One, I've heard stories, and I'm sure you have, too, of people investing in annuities and then that insurance company going out of business. So how do we make sure or how does... Uh, the the public makes sure that they're getting a product that is not at the risk of a company going under.
0: Sure. Well, uh, one insurance companies are regulated uh, very heavily at the state level, uh, much like banks are regulated at the federal level. Banks have something called FDIC insurance, which is the federal guarantee, uh, you know, on your money being at the bank. Uh, insurance companies have something called SPIC. Uh, In Ohio, that's a $250,000 guarantee at the state level. So there is state-backed insurance for all insurance contracts per person. So if you had a $250,000 annuity contract with ABC Company, ABC Company goes out of business, know that your $250,000 is insured by the state. However, very, very rare, I can't think of a time, uh, I'm sure there is one, but I can't think of a time in certainly not in recent history, but in history at all, where that insurance policy had to, been, had to be exercised at the state level. Almost all insurance companies are purchased in the event that that happens. But it does point us in a direction of make sure you know the insurance company that you're going with, go with good ratings. There's no point in doing business with a, a company under an A rating and they're rated just like grades in school. And look deeper into their balance sheets and make sure you get with a good company with a long track record that manages their money well. Uh, that's where we come in. We make sure that we pick the right companies, and then that should not be a concern for you.
2: Annuities are are something that everyone looks to when the market takes a dive.
0: Yeah, you know, it's much like insurance, right? You know, when uh, you find out that you're not, uh, that you get a a terrible ailment, you want life insurance to protect your family, but then you can't get it. Uh, Well, nobody wants to buy uh, a boring, stodgy, fixed annuity when the market is going gangbusters like it has over the last 10 years or so. But then in today's economy, everybody wants one. Um, and usually, uh, they're not quite as good when the economy is doing really poorly because these insurance companies have to back up the guarantees they're offering. So they're faced with many of the same uh, financial dilemmas in investing that we are as individuals. That does not mean that now is not a good time to investigate the space. If you didn't have an annuity to begin with, and you should have had part of your money invested in, you know, while it may not be the best time uh, by rates, it could be a great time because the market's down and you can ride that back up. But you're right. It's a very, it's a disciplined thing to take money off the table when the market is going well, you should have probably done it before, but you should definitely do it now if you don't already have some, uh, you know, fixed component to your portfolio to weather a storm.
2: Even when there's a bull market and stocks are going great and people kind of get not greedy, but people want to take advantage and make the most money they can in a positive situation. So is it hard for you to tell your clients, look, we need to invest in some annuities because we need to have this portfolio rounded or well-rounded enough to be able to take the hits that the markets can deliver at any time?
0: Yeah, I think this comes back to you need to have a disciplined approach, one that's rule-based, one that makes sense in all environments. And unfortunately, we're people. And as people, we don't want to leave anything on the table when times are good, and oftentimes we want to overcompensate when times are bad. And I think you can hit the nail on the head. It's very difficult to convince people when the market is going gangbusters to take some of their money out of the market into this boring fixed annuity or whatever that, that product might be. And that it's very difficult when times are bad to tell people, we don't want to move more into that fixed contract. We want to actually invest more into the market because the market's bad, or at least maintain our position when it looks so bad. Um, But that's why you have to have a solid plan to know that you've made these decisions and you've made these rules in your plan based upon the long-term viability of your plan, not based upon just trying to chase returns and ignoring risk and ignoring the solidarity of your plan so very critical that we we try and take as much emotion out of it as we can and stick to the plan that we came up with
2: and in light of what we're going through i think advisors are going to have an easier time to convince people that they need to have that security in their portfolio as well
0: you're absolutely right
2: i like to hear that to schedule your complimentary customized planning session give josh a call at 614-364-7300 that's 614-364-7300 aptuswealth.com is the website. It is spelled A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. When we come back, the difference between men and women when it comes to retirement. This could get interesting. I'm Diane Brennan. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick.
1: Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, let's talk about, uh, well, is there a difference in the retirement plan for a 65-year-old woman and a 65-year-old man? I don't think we're on equal scales when it comes to income levels yet, so there must be.
0: Well, I, I think this is the first question you've asked me in all these weeks that I'm terrified to answer. But <laughs> you asked me a very general question, so we're going to have to address it with some generalities. So first disclaimer, uh, You know, not all women or men are created equal, you know, so on and so forth. But We're not picking on anybody here. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not addressing any particular sect of the population. But in general, women earn less than men. Um, You know, about 80 cents on the dollar is the stat that I see most often. Um, On top of that, women in general live longer than men. Um, And And, and are
2: things cost more?
0: (laughs) Perhaps. Again, I'm speaking in very general terms. I don't want to go home and get beat up by my wife.
2: I might be putting my personal opinion in here too much on this segment, but just I'll, I'll try and refrain from piping in about that. <laughs> go well,
0: ahead. There, there are some very significant concerns, though, and, and let's address I think what I visualize is, is the big one, and that is, and this is changing over time, but historically speaking, um, women are much more likely to leave the workforce to take a part-time job or n- take a break to you know kind of accommodate those childcare situations so if you have somebody who spent a tremendous amount of time outside of the workforce you know let's say the first 10 years of your child's life or 15 years of your child's life and then they go back well obviously they're behind the eight ball in that career development path so not only in general do they make less money than men but also uh, they're a little bit further back in the career path if they do in fact stay home and then on top of that you have the issue of divorce so let's say that a husband and wife decided that uh, wife's going to stay home for 10 or 15 years, then we go through divorce, they're behind on the on the yield curve of income, if you want to call it that way. And then uh, they have longer to have the retirement income last, and they probably have less retirement savings as a result of that divorce. So I think there's some challenges, um, both in longevity and in just pure asset size between men and women. You know, it's changing over time, Diane, but slowly.
2: I understand the divorce aspect, but a lot of times couples, you know, stay together till death do us part. The Because women live longer, do you encourage women to actually take a huge part? Because a lot of times, you know, when you're married, you know, one partner is responsible for some things. The other a partner, let's say, the guy takes care of the finances. Um, and then women find that they're a widow one day and don't really know what was happening with the finances. Let's talk about the importance of couples learning all about their retirement plans together. So it's not so lopsided and women may not feel so lost when that unfortunate time comes.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one that hits really close to me. Obviously my father passed away when I was uh, uh, young. Uh, He was only 40. My mom was left with the task of raising a 13 and nine year old on her own. And just like you said, she was not involved in that. The division of labor amongst them was dad takes care of all of the finance. So she was left both grieving, Dealing with raising two kids on her own and trying to figure out an area of her life that she's never had to do before, and while I agree that there you know there's certain things that we just divide up right it's there's too much in life when you have kids to to everybody to do everything, and I get that, and it might not be your your cup of tea to handle the finances, but you should at least have a level of involvement to get a basic understanding every year. my wife and i my wife does not enjoy this stuff at all. this is not her thing. But every year I sit her down and I make her go th- just go through everything with me, just so she knows where everything is, she knows the general idea, she knows the plan, and she'd know at least where to go should something happen to me. Um, she would know at least what next steps to take, even if it's just simply consulting the right person, but you need to be involved to some degree. so I think you, you hit you hit the nail right on the head, Diane, you need to you need to be involved to some capacity, maybe not in every six month meeting. Uh, with the financial uh, advisor that you work with or or fiduciary, but certainly need to be involved to some aspect.
2: You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. Let's talk about regulation best interest. What is that? And why is it important?
0: Well, you know, I think one thing is regulation, while sometimes challenging, has to be in place. Because there's, as a consumer in the financial planning, financial services world, you need to know that the people that you're talking to at least have some basis of education to offer the advice to you that they're offering. And unfortunately, in our business, up until the regulation best interest, there's this generic term called financial advisor, investment advisor, I hear financial planner getting thrown around, which is actually a copyrighted term, but financial planner, um, you know, wealth advisor, you hear all these different terms, and they're all just made up terms, you don't have to have a particular uh, license to call yourself a financial advisor or an investment advisor. You have to look at somebody's uh, education beyond that. So now, what this this practice did, did or this uh, this new regulation did, is essentially say they're going to hold our industry to a higher standard, which I think is a good thing. Now, what does that mean, though? Well, it's going to require uh, brokers, or you know, insert insurance agents, uh, f- to stop referring to themselves, to themselves as advisors unless they are working under the fiduciary standard that was established in the best Regulation, the Best interest act, essentially. What does that mean? Well, you have to disclose information about your about your recommendations. You have to exercise due diligence. All these things sound very obvious, right? You have to be transparent in your recommendations. You have to abide by a set of policies that address conflict of interest with you and the client, meaning I'm not giving you this advice to buy this widget because I also own the company that makes the widgets. Um, and then you have to comply fully with all the policies and procedures that uh, fulfill all this entire regulation. Why is this a problem, though? I mean, it seems very obvious that we should do what's in the best interest of our clients. We should uh, notify people of any sort of conflict of interest. We should. These all seem very clear-cut, and why have they been participating this way all along? Well, that's a, a discussion for another day, but this is what I see a lot in the marketplace. People going around saying, I'm a financial planner, that just purely have an insurance license. And saying that investing in the stock market is crazy and nobody should do it, you should put all your money in this annuity, which now you can see why annuities might get a bad name because you've put too much of your assets in an annuity because this financial planner told you that you should. When in reality, the financial planner told you you should put the money in the annuity because he had no ability to do any other investment with his current licensing. That's just gotta go away. You can't, that's a conflict of interest if I've ever heard one. You cannot offer holistic financial planning services if you don't have the ability to actually perform the duties of holistic financial planning services. If you can only sell a Ford, you can't say you're a non-biased car salesperson. You have to say, I'm non-biased in how I place people within the Ford category, but I can't sell you a Chevy. So if you hear me talking about how bad Chevys are, no, it's because they're my competition. This happens in our industry all the time, unfortunately. So the passage... Of that. And, you know, the jury's still out on whether or not it will make a dramatic impact, but I certainly feel it's a step in the right direction. And it at least raises awareness to the consumer that, oh, wow, I cannot believe that this wasn't there to begin with. And I really have to do my due diligence to make sure I'm getting with the appropriate
2: advisor. And how do our listeners protect themselves? How do they find the appropriate advisor?
0: I think step one is ask if they're a fiduciary. That's that's a, a step in the right direction, is are you a fiduciary, are you fee-based, or are you a commission-based broker? We're just held to a different standard. We already have been abiding by it. All fiduciaries have to abide by this rule and have been doing that for a long, long time plus. So uh, think of this rule on steroids as it applies to fiduciaries. So that's a good place to start. You know you're getting rid of all of the, you know, the peripheral riffraff, if you will, of where there could even be any ambiguity. That's step number one. Step number two, I highly encourage that you look up the advisor online. There's a website either through the SEC or or FINRA, um, take your pick, and you can look up how long has this person been licensed? Do they have any uh, dings against their record? Has anybody filed complaints, Et cetera? Between those two things, and then meeting with them, uh, maybe getting some references, I think you can start to formulate a pretty strong opinion. But unless you at least ask, are they a fiduciary, you really don't know.
2: What else would you like to see changed in your industry that you see that's going on?
0: Well, one, I think that one quick way is, I'm a firm believer that well-built fences make for great neighbors. Uh, You know, I've heard that since I was a kid. And I think while regulation is part of that, I think that if you shift to a more fee-based model, it will inherently push it in that direction. It'll inherently push it in a better direction that is going to get a lot of pushback because it takes time. And I understand that it takes time to push an industry from a commission based model to a fee based model. And I think that you have to allow for that time because you certainly don't want to go to somebody who's based on commissions, upfront commissions and tell them that they can, now they're going purely fee based. They would simply not survive in this industry. And while that would be a great thing for me, I don't think it's a great thing for the consumer to have less choices to work from. But as you push it to a fiduciary fee based model, it eliminates the potential for people to sell things based upon commission because the potential is no longer there. So I think that regulation in and of itself will eliminate the ability for people to do uh, maybe the wrong thing for consumers.
2: To schedule your complimentary customized planning session or if you have questions, anything about what we've been talking about today, give Josh a call. The number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. A P T U S wealth.com. After the break, we're going to talk about your spending habits. I'm Diane Brennan. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Peck.
1: We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Peck at 989 the answer.
3: 7,300 or visit aptuswealth.com.
1: Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. Josh, a retirement confidence survey that the Employee Benefit Research Institute conducted found that one in ten retirees said they were spending much more in retirement than they thought they would. So what recommendations do you have for someone in this situation?
0: Yeah, there's a crazy amount of statistics uh, as it relates to retirees. I've actually heard that there's another statistic that people are in general more scared of running out of money in retirement than dying. So certainly this topic uh, is a big one, not only just you know running out of money, but spending more, which in turn has you running out of money. Um, I think, one, you need to analyze and be realistic with your own discipline. Um, up until most, and this is the, the one variable that I see, as people reach retirement, let's say you've had a job where you're making a steady salary and you know that you're confined to that salary and you have to live off of that salary without going off the rails, then you reach retirement and you have this big bucket of money that you're responsible for doling out in a reasonable fashion. And sometimes, uh, you know, when you look at a million dollars or whatever that dollar amount is sitting out there, it it seems like uh, a pile of money that couldn't possibly run out. So you start spending a little more frivolously frivolously than you have in the past. So I see that happen sometimes. Um, Typically, though, that'll happen for the first few years, and then it comes back and, you know, you pull the reins back a little bit. Um, typically, I see people travel a whole lot more in the first few years. Uh, you know, they've been waiting to take that trip their entire life and they've been kicking it off because of vacation time or whatever it might be. And now I have the time, I have the resources, I go do that. And traveling budgets get way out of hand in the first few years. But I think in all of these things, and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse or just, you know, a, I'm a broken record on this, it's planning for it. Planning for how disciplined of a person are you? Uh, and just be realistic with yourself. You know, I know that if you give me if you give me 10 bucks, I'm going to spend 10 bucks, or there's other people, if you give me 10 bucks, I'm going to save $9 and only spend a dollar. Well, then we have to have a conversation about, you know, you need to enjoy life a little bit. You have this money you've saved up for your whole life. Let's go do something. But obviously, more often than not, it's on the flip side of that. So if you're not a disciplined person, meet with an advisor that can put you essentially on a budget so that you don't go off the rails. Instead of looking at this giant net worth or this significant net worth, turn it into an income stream. Now I know that I have to stay within this income stream and not pay more. Um, also plan for contingencies. You know, one of the big variables in retirement planning that we're unaware of is the cost of insurance, particularly health insurance, long-term care, et cetera. So make sure in your plan you have variables in there to, to buffer if those things occur. But everything that I'm, I'm talking about right now is coming back to a plan. Try and take into account early on in the process that this might not go. Matter of fact, I can almost guarantee that your retirement is not going to go exactly according to plan. I've yet to see one occur that way yet. You know, you might have a whole lot of things that could happen. Health issues, uh, relocation, um, family scenarios. So have those contingency plans built in so that you don't end up spending much more than you anticipated. Make sure that you had a realistic expectation of what you were going to end up spending. So I think, you know, large in part, uh, Diane, where people get way out of wraps is they're, they're unrealistic. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody in my office and I say, what, what do you think you need to retire on? And they say, $3,000 a month, no problem. And I say, well, what are you making now? Uh, you know, they give me a gross amount. I said, no net, what are you making now? Well, we're bringing home $6,000 a month every single month. Okay, well, how much is left at the end of the month? Well, nothing. Well, then how do you feel that you're going to cut your budget in half miraculously the day you retire? What's changing? And maybe there is something significant changing. Maybe you're paying the house off, but more times than not, what you're doing is grabbing a sheet of paper and writing out what your cable costs, what your car costs, what everything costs, and and being very unrealistic about the extras, the going out to eat, which are very inexpensive right now with uh, COVID going on. But uh, we talked about that earlier, but Be realistic about fun, the fun category. We need to put more money in the fun category. And that's why I'm a big believer in going back to what are you living on now? Is that going to continue to work moving forward? Because it's a more realistic expectation. So long-winded answer to be realistic in your expectations uh, and you shouldn't be caught off guard.
2: And it's one thing to analyze yourself and think about yourself, but I don't think we can talk about this enough. When you're a couple, don't assume What you think your partner's spending habits are going to be during retirement so that conversation needs to happen now
0: for sure you know one that i see oftentimes is uh, let's say wife does the budget comes in with a number that's definitive Um, husband goes golfing once a month because he's working husband now wants to golf three times a week that's a big ding to the budget but they never had a conversation about it absolutely communication is everything another huge advantage of meeting with an arbitrary third party, i.e. my office, me, to kind of ask the right questions in a way that does not create conflict amongst the two of you.
2: It feels very restrictive, the budget thing. So now I can imagine people going shopping, buying something, thinking my advisor is going to kill me because I just went out (laughs) out of the budget.
0: (laughs) No, No, I I don't want to know what you purchased with your money. I just want to know a reasonable uh, level that we need to go with, and then we need to stick to it. Yeah, and that's I think oftentimes I'm seeing a lot of people when they retire getting part-time jobs for this exact reason. They're not ready to go on a purely strict budget yet. They want that fun money, and they also it keeps structure in their life. There's a lot of benefits to having a part-time job, but it it adds to that fun money category, if you will, if you don't already have it.
2: If anyone has questions, you can give Josh a call if you'd like to schedule a customized planning session. No obligation. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Let's talk about retirement income strategies. Everyone loves different forms of income. What do you recommend that people be doing in retirement to achieve those goals?
0: Well, one before you even retire, I think as you're looking at your own plan, whether you're planning at home or you're working with somebody, I think there's some very big questions you need to ask yourself. Because everybody's seen all the different portfolios and how should I be investing and I wanna make sure I have diversification and et cetera, et cetera. Um, One is how am I eliminating the risk of sequence of returns? And by sequence of returns, I mean that although two identical people can make the same average rate of return over a long period of time, the order in which they receive those returns, if they're drawing income off of that asset, can have a monumental effect between the two. I could show scenario after scenario where two identical people are earning 7% average annual rate of returns over a 20 or 25 year period, but they're in different orders and they're taking the same amount of money from the same pool of money. One still has the same amount of money that they started with and the other one went broke 20 years in. So how am I eliminating, mitigating, just preventing that from affecting my pool of money? If you haven't answered that question, you need to do a lot more digging. Uh, That is the biggest silent killer of every retirement plan. So uh, make sure you have a strategy in place to do that. And there's very simple ones and more complicated ones to address it. Um, Number two, we're in a low interest rate environment. How am I gonna achieve safety within my portfolio knowing that I can't put the money in a CD because it's earning next to nothing uh, what other strategies can I utilize to achieve long-term, maybe even lifetime income adjusted for inflation? We talked about that a little bit earlier. There's other options, but one that comes to mind would be a fixed or fixed indexed annuity would achieve that category. Trying to get that better than 2 or 3% rate of return over a long period of time with inflation adjustments provides a lifetime income uh, that will last you for the rest of your life. So that's one. Uh, eliminating sequence of return risk, what we talked about before, would be laddering out when you're going to need that money. Sequence of return risk only affects you if you're actively pulling money off of a category that's varied or bouncing around a lot. So we want to make sure we have asset categories that we can draw from that aren't bouncing around like that, because we know that being in the market is arguably the best place for us to be in the long run. We want to leave the money alone, let it do what it's going to do, draw income sources from somebody or from somewhere else. Whether that's just taking dividends only off of our investments, or then utilizing something like an annuity for our income in the interim. Um, and then the third one is if we're not obligated, or we're we're refusing to acknowledge that these are in fact big issues, and we don't we've decided that regardless of whether it makes sense or not, we don't like annuities regardless of whether it makes sense or not i'm not going to i'm not going to take it, uh, a, a strategy in place to identify or to address the sequence of return issue i'm just going to ignore it i want to go back to the way that we've always done it and i'm going to go in a 60 40 portfolio and just draw a percentage off of it you know the old adage was stay at 4% when i started in this business it was you could draw up 6% cuz interest rates were so much higher then it went to 5 then it went to 4 I've seen many times the death of the 4%, uh, you know, the society, all the academy of smart people has decided that you should go down to 3 So now we're talking about reducing our withdrawal rate, which if you have a million dollars means you could only pull off maybe $30,000 a year with the old 60-40 portfolio. Unless you come up with adjustments to address those other two risks, you have to adjust the other two risks. Regardless of what you want your plan to be, whether it's, you know, rental properties, uh, there's a whole host of ways that you can fund retirement. But you have to address the how am I going to achieve yield out of my fixed investments and how am I going to mitigate or minimize the impact of sequence of returns on my equity investments. You have to solve those two problems.
2: And you go through all this during the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process.
0: Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's it's critical that we address both of those things.
2: So let's go through the entire process for people.
0: Sure. So uh, step one, we call it the discovery process. Uh, In this process, we're going to find out what you have. Uh, so, you know, we talked about just a second ago, are you, does your plan address the mitigation of risk, uh, a sequence of return risk? Do you have investments that are going to help you achieve yield? We're going to find all these things out when we're doing the discovery process. What assets do you have? Were they currently invested? How are you saving towards the goals that you've told us that you want to achieve? And then we'll probably ask a few questions that you haven't even thought of that we know need addressed at some point in the process. Meeting number two is the analysis. So we're going to come back to you and say what exactly what you're doing right now, this is what the picture looks like. This is what could get in the way. If we stress test this, you know, we, we put it in the simulator and we start doing different things to the portfolio. We lower raise our interest rates. We change taxes. What does that do to you? And what does that do to your portfolio the way it's sitting right now? And oftentimes we'll find for for people that they're taking on a dramatic amount of risk that maybe they didn't even realize they were taking on, or maybe they're not taking on enough risk. But we have to make sure that we, the Goldilocks approach, right, it's the right amount of risk for you. And then meeting number three, we call the blueprint. And the blueprint is let's address all of those deficiencies if there are, in fact, deficiencies to make sure that your error hits a target, that there's no bump in the road that's going to prevent you from achieving the goals that you want. And what adjustments do we need to make to achieve that? And then meeting number four is where the rubber meets the road. It's the engagement meeting. It's where we decide through this process we've learned a lot about one another, the way the process in which we work, whether we be a good fit for one another, and whether or not our process works for you. If it does, then we take the next step and you become a client, and we fill out the necessary paperwork to do that.
2: And people are, you're meeting with your clients twice a year just to go over everything and make sure, or minimum of twice a year, just to make sure that they're in the right direction.
0: Yeah, a minimum of twice a year. But I would say in the first year, there's a lot more than that. Um, in the first year, there's a lot of work to be done. Proper planning takes a lot of work. Uh, so I would say, you know, even beyond the four initial meetings, we're probably going to have several meetings in that first year beyond that to get everything moving in the right direction and get it more automated. Meaning, you know, if we're doing Roth IRA conversions, we got to kind of, there's a lot of steps that we have to take to get everything out of the way. But uh, after the first year, at least twice a year.
2: Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To learn strategies to manage risk in this new economy and to schedule your complimentary customized planning session that Josh just outlined, the Aptus Retirement Blueprint process, give Josh a call. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, Wealth. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.